morning, every last one of you. <laughs> the book of Titus this morning, Titus chapter number two, right at the end there, making our way through one chapter to go, Titus chapter two, everybody looks wide awake. All right, Titus chapter number two. All right, let's pray. Father, we thank you, Lord, for your goodness, and thank you, Lord, for your grace. Thank you, Lord, for salvation. Now, Lord, we pray that you'd uh, help us this morning. Father, I pray that you'd fill us with your Holy Spirit. Father, I pray that you'd help me, Lord, as I do the best that I know how. Father, I pray that you'd undertake from me where I can to teach the Word of God. Father, I pray that you give the people receptive ears. Father, I pray that you bless your word now. And Father, I pray for those who might be on their way, give them safe travel, safe passage. And Father, we sure love you and thank you for all you've done for us. Thank you for a perfect Bible, Father, that we don't have to question. We don't have to, we don't have to edit or update. And Father, it's just a real blessing to be able to come before you this morning and have this perfect book in front of us. Now help us with it, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, now uh, we'll go back to verse number uh, 14 here. Chapter 2, number 14. <clears throat> I'll go back to 11. We'll just read a couple of verses and segue or segue, however you say that thing, right into where we need to be. The Bible says, For the grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared to all men, sorry, John Calvin, teaching us that denying ungodliness. And of course, we know we've preached and taught it's the grace of that is doing the teaching there. Ungodliness, worldly lust, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world. Looking for that blessed hope and the glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us that he might redeem us from all iniquity and purify on himself a peculiar people zealous of good works. He says here in verse number 15, this is where we pick it up this morning. These things speak and exhort and rebuke with all authority. All right, so he says, all right, Titus, here you go. What we just went over here, speak it, exhort it. That means uh, get people fired up about it, encourage them. Uh, exhortation is simply inciting someone to laudable deeds. Stir somebody up, amen? Now, preachers, we're not motivational speakers, but real preaching should motivate you to do something. It really should. He says, speak it, exhort it, and then he says, rebuke. So sometimes you got to come down on things as a preacher, and he says, hey, don't, don't, by the way, Titus, don't forget that. you got to rebuke stuff. And then he says this, with all authority. And uh, that's how you know modern-day uh, Christianity is a joke. <laughs> It's a bad joke without a punchline. Uh, Modern-day Christianity, uh, you go into a church house, and you're coming out feeling like a wet fish, you know, all, all slimy and all like somebody just gave you a wet kiss, you know. Uh, that's modern-day Christianity. That's modern-day preaching. Come out, you just feel so wonderful, you know. Uh, and modern preaching is kind of like, uh, it's like the potpourri can that they leave in the bathroom. See what I mean? 
because really it stinks and you got to put a lot of that spray on there to, to dumb it down. So, but uh, he says with all authority. So, well, how in the world can you preach? Uh, that, that's pretty funny, even if, you know, only one of y'all laugh. How can you do that with all authority? How in the world can you do what Paul just said? How can you preach? How can you exhort? How can you speak this stuff? Because it's some pretty tough stuff, right? And how can you uh, rebuke with all authority? I'll look back to Titus chapter 1, verse 9. This is how you do it. You do it by, Titus chapter 1, verse 9, holding fast the faithful word as he hath been taught, that he may be able by sound doctrine both to exhort and to convince the gainsayers. And the gainsayers is just those who oppose truth. That's all that is. That's a fancy word to those who are against what is known to be right. And uh, I suppose everybody knows some people like that. There's something that's right, and they're just against it. So how do you overcome that? You do it by holding fast the faithful word right there. You speak it, you exhort it, you rebuke with it, and you do it with all authority. Uh, you don't say, well, you know, my opinion is. Nobody cares about my opinion. Nobody cares about your opinion. You know it's in, uh, what's, uh, what's received? Authority. The whole thing about uh, Adam and Eve in the garden was all about authority. Devil shows up, he goes, yea, hath God said. He questions his authority. Uh, the problem in the world is authority. Nobody could tell me what to do. The problem in marriages is authority. <laughs> Amen. Having a good time this morning. But he says, speak these, uh, these things, speak and exhort and rebuke with all authority. Let no man despise thee. Uh, so that tells me that in the local church, especially over there in Crete, that Paul's dealing with Titus on this thing, that the Cretans, the Cretan converts, the new Christians, he's like, look, they're going to come after you. They're going to come at you, but you've got to speak these things. You've got you to you exhort it. You've got to rebuke it with all authority. Let no man despise thee. Why? Because it's going to happen. But don't even pay it any attention. Let no man despise thee. And you do that by holding fast the faithful word. And Titus is told to do these things and to be zealous of good works as a Christian. And verse 15 ends with, let no man despise thee. I look back to 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 2, a very similar uh, admonition to Timothy. Just one book back, 2 Timothy chapter 4, <coughs> verse 2. He tells Timothy, preach the word. Be instant in season, out of season, reprove, rebuke, exhort with all long-suffering and doctrine. Doctrine. Uh, go back one more book, 1 Timothy chapter 4. 1 Timothy chapter 4. A couple of very similar admonitions to Timothy. And if you're going to preach, uh, if you're going to be a pastor or even a preacher, just a preacher, a street preacher or preaching a, a youth or a ministry somewhere on the street, an old folks' home, uh, you're going to have to have, uh, that's not the one I want. Is it 12? Let no man. Hey, there it is. Thank you, Joe. Bible says in 1 Timothy 4.12, let no man despise thy youth. That's a great verse if you're a young man, amen. You know why? Because all the old, man, old men seem to be running down the young men, don't they? No, not all of them, but there's a... There's plenty of old men out there, and they just, they just give you the bum's rush, don't they? They give you a hard time. 
And you know why they do that? Because the old men are jealous of your energy. They're jealous of your strength. They're jealous of your ability to be on your feet all day. And they got bad backs and bad behinds and all the rest of that stuff. And, you know, they're just jealous of what you got. But here it's in relation to the preaching. He says, let no man despise thy youth, but be thou an example of the believers in word, conversation, and charity, and spirit, and faith, and purity. So, all right, don't worry about it. You let no man despise thy youth. He ends Titus by saying, let no man despise thee. So a real quick, real quick recap on Titus chapter 2 here. Uh, there's things that become sound doctrine in chapter 2. And the things that become sound doctrine in a nutshell would be this. You have in verse 2 of Titus chapter 2, the elderly men, they're supposed to behave themselves. Amen? And then in verse 3, the elderly women, they're supposed to behave themselves. Now, we're giving you a real quick synopsis of what things are becoming of sound doctrine. It's not just the correct Bible teaching on, on biblical topics, but it's also your conduct and your character. You need to understand that uh, sound doctrine envelops your conduct as a Christian, your character as a Christian. So you can be doctrinally right down the line when it comes to salvation, it comes to the doctrine of imputation and all that stuff and know all about uh, the deeps and all that stuff and be true to the book. But out here in this world and in your own personal life, live like a dirt ball and you could be literally living out of the range of sound doctrine. You see what I mean? You can be living, you can be living false doctrine because it envelops your character and your conduct. So the elderly men, they behave in verse 2. The elderly women, they behave themselves in verse 3. And the younger women, they're to learn to behave themselves in verse 4. And the young men, their behavior should be characterized by a handful of things. Their minds occupied with God. Their minds occupied with the Bible and with things in the Bible. Their young man's mouth should be occupied with witnessing and telling the truth. Young man's uh, should be occupied, their activities uh, uh, should be maintaining a Christian household, their life given to witness for Christ. And uh, those are all things that become sound doctrine. And then you scoot down to verse 11, then the grace is doing some teaching there. And God teaches man what real love and kindness and mercies are. Just a quick synopsis and we're through chapter 2 here. God then teaches man what love is capable of doing. And God teaches man that this present world is a temporary system. And things we see are temporal and not eternal. And in the church house, it's, I believe we all understand that. But for whatever reason, when we walk out the door, so many Christians are held captive by this world and held captive by the things of this world that they automatically shut off the things that they learn. They shut off the preaching. They shut off the Bible. And then they go and just try to build a bigger and better thing here. I'm not against you getting good, nice things to live and a nice house and all that, but this is not the end. This world is not our home. So this world is temporal. This world is temporal. <clears throat> and you can't see the internal until you pass from here to there. And then God teaches man in verse 2, he's going to make an appearance. Thank God for that. And sooner than later, I'm ready to go. I'm ready to go today. And if you're not, you can get ready to go right now. <laughs> you ever pack up for vacation? Good grief. I'm like, it takes forever. 
takes forever to pack. Now, if you're a guy, you're throwing <laughs> whatever you don't care. You throw stuff in a bag. And if you're a gal, you're like, whoa, 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 whoa. We need at least another six hours to think this thing through. Amen? Praise the Lord. Amen. High five, brother. And, uh, and the man's going, oh, let's just go. And the gal's going, but wait, we got, and you know what? Nine times out of ten, you'd be glad she waited an extra six hours because you'd have took off for vacation without your underwear, you know what I mean? <laughs> or without your belt or without your tennis shoes, right? Or without your toothpaste. But uh, most men, they're ready to go now, you know what I mean? They go with just what they got on. Well, we'll worry about it. There's a Walmart somewhere, you know. But uh, anyway, <clears throat> but uh, you, you learn that in Titus chapter 2. Uh, not that uh, one takes longer, but you know what I'm saying, that uh, the Lord's going to make an appearance. I'm thankful for that. And if nothing else today, uh, be thankful that he's going to make an appearance. Amen? I know you know that. But uh, be thankful for that. And then God teaches man here in this chapter how he should take care of how he lives. And he teaches him that self-denial is right and self-indulgence is wrong. I'm not talking about asceticism. I'm not talking about uh, that weird stuff and, you know, emasculating yourself and hurting yourself and, doing, you know, flagellation, self-flagellation, not like passing gas, but, you know, the, where you whip yourself. That's stupid stuff, you know what I mean? But anyways, and then God shows you three things in Titus chapter 2. He shows you, shows you your past in verse number 3. He shows you your present in verses 7 to 8. And then he shows you your future in verse number 13. What a blessing. He shows you your past in verse 3, your present in verse 7 to 8. He shows you your future. And some of the greatest passages are given right here. And that will finish up chapter 2. Let's go take a look at chapter 3. Right into verse 1, the Bible says, Put them in mind to be subject to principalities and powers, to obey magistrates, to be ready to every good work. Now, I don't know about you, but I am really thankful for a Bible uh, because without a Bible, uh, we'd be all over the place. We really would be. And this book is a perfect book, and I know for some people that's hard to swallow, but I look at it this way. I believe that, Jesus, or that the Lord made the universe. I believe in creation. I believe God made the world and everything in it. I believe the Bible says that he upholds everything with the world, word of his power. And you know what? That's not hard to believe, is it? I believe that when I trusted Jesus Christ as my Savior and I asked him to forgive me of my sins and, to, uh, and I was trusting only his shed blood, I believe that at that very moment he came into my very body and he resides there now. That's simple, isn't it? That's, that's the simplicity of salvation. So therefore, let me say this. Why in the world would I think that God, who did all what I just said he did, and it's, 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 it's termed out in the Bible, why couldn't he create a perfect book? To me, that would be like one of the easiest things to do. Like write a book that's, uh, that's you know, maybe 1,600 pages or less depending on the size print, and then make it right. I mean, to me, a book that's right is easy. Now, the stuff that's hard is out here. How in the world are we going across the, the, the solar system spinning, not going into the sun? See, that to me, that's the difficult, that, that quantum physics stuff and all that, you know, we're spinning, and then it's night, and then it's day. Just words on a page that are true, that seems simple to me. 
But I'm thankful for a Bible. Because without this book, uh, I mean, we'd be nuttier than we already are. Amen? Amen. Some of y'all are nutty. He says, put them in mind to be subject to principality. So he's going to give some instruction here to uh, Titus here. And it's really self-explanatory. But look at Romans chapter 13, a very good sister passage here. Romans chapter 13. And uh, if you read this passage here, it talks about and deals with our relationship with the government. Our relationship with the government. Now listen, we might be oddballs as Christians and people might not like what we are, what we live, how we live, and what we stand for. But we are not rebels according to this world. I'm in rebellion to the world system, but I'm not in rebellion to the government. Romans chapter 13, look at verse 1 to 7. The Bible says, Let every soul be subject unto the higher powers, for there is no power but of God. The powers that are be are ordained of God. Whosoever therefore resists the power resists the ordinance of God, and they that resist shall receive to themselves damnation. That's a physical thing. It's like this. Here's the example. If you go out here on the highway and you care no, take no thought, and it's 55 and you're running 73, you probably going to get pulled over. That physical damnation is uh, Johnny Law pulling you, whoop, 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 and he pulls you over there, and he writes you, you know, what, uh, 18 over. You know what they say, if you got time, do the crime. <laughs> but that's the damnation. We're talking about, you know, you break the law, you go to hell. You know, I'm not talking about that. This is to a Christian, it's physical damnation. I want to make sure you understand that. But just like if you're speeding and, you know, uh, you know, and you took someone's life, and let's say, perchance, this state had the death penalty, which it doesn't. It should, but it doesn't. And you kill somebody else, and you're in a state that's got death penalty, and then they'll take your life for it, put you in a chair and fry you like eggs and bacon or put stuff in your veins or something like that. That's the damnation we're talking about. All right, now look at here, verse 3. He says, For rulers are not a terror to good works, but to the evil. Wilt thou then not be afraid of the power? Do that which is good, and thou shalt have praise of the same. For he is the minister of God to thee for good. But if thou do that which is evil, be afraid, for he beareth not the sword in vain. For he is the minister of God, a revenger to execute wrath upon him that doeth evil. Wherefore, you must needs be subject not only for wrath, so you don't get a ticket, or so you don't go to prison, but also for conscience sake. So you're supposed to obey the higher power, so you've got a clear conscience when you go to sleep at night. You see that? Two reasons. Because you don't want to get... You know, you don't want to get in trouble with the law, and then you want to have a clear conscience. Don't you find it interesting when you're driving down the road and you see a police officer? Not all of you, but most of you hit your brakes, whether you're speeding or not. You know what that is? Bad conscience. <laughs> I mean, you could be going 45 and see a cop, and you'd hit your brakes. Why? Because you like to speed every now and then. <laughs> but that's what he's saying here. He says... Uh, he says, uh, wherefore you must needs be subject not only for wrath, but for conscience sake. Now, I think that's a good thing. I think it's a good thing if you touch your brakes. That means you're thinking about it. See what I mean? That means, you're, that means your conscience is not totally shot. There's a, I've heard it said like this before. You know that guy you work with, and uh, he cusses every fifth word, right? And it's just GD this and blank this and blank that and blank that. Uh, there's two types of cussers. One that does it and goes, oh, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to say that. And then there's one that does it and don't even care what you think. 
You say, what's the difference? Well, the first guy that apologizes, he's immoral. He knows he's wrong and he's admitting it to you. I'm a dirty pig. I like being in the mud, but I'm sorry I said it, but I'm going to say it again. The other guy, he's amoral. He's got no morals whatsoever. He didn't even know he said it. Uh, these kids there at the school uh, when I teach, uh, they'll rattle off a list of words and you'll have to go, language, because you can't do anything. You can't, you know, slap them into next week. They'll put you in prison, amen. <laughs> you, can't, you can't do that. It's not old school. You're not going to send them down the office. You can't paddle them, amen. But uh, they don't even know they say it half the time. We'll say, what is that? There's no morals at all. There's no morals put in them. There's no morals in the home. So therefore, you have a, an amoral society. Amen. All right, number five, where for, verse five, wherefore you must needs be subject not only for wrath, but also for conscience sake. For this cause, pay you tribute. There you go. That's your taxes. For they are God's ministers. The IRS, like it or lump it, babe, <laughs> attending continually upon this very thing, render therefore to all their dues, Tribute to whom tribute is due, custom to whom custom, fear to whom fear, honor to whom honor. All right? And I'll give you one more passage, 1 Peter chapter 2. I want to read these to you. Set the stage of what he's talking about. You have a group of individuals, even Bible believers in America, even in the state of Michigan, and they are anti-government. And I'm telling you what, that's not us. That's not us. I think you know that, but that's not us. I'll say it again. I'm not anti-government. Uh, you if you're anti-government, you're a stinking fool is what you are. And you're against the Bible. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 17 and 19. You say, well, the government isn't always right. Well, neither are you. All right, 2, 17, 18 and 19. Honor all men. Love the brotherhood. That's not the brethren in the hood, but the brotherhood. Amen. <laughs> Fear God. Honor the king. Now, if you want a, a comedic input here, it says honor the king. You know what we were doing back in the 1700s? We were rebelling against the king as a nation. I've said this before, and I won't beat a dead horse, but don't be surprised when there's so much rebellion in our country when our country was founded upon rebellion. They rebelled against King George. He came over here, and King George came over here to try to straighten us out, and we blew him back over to, you know, Buckingham. <laughs> Right? Our nation was founded upon rebellion. Thirteen original colonies. Thirteen is the number of rebellion. You know that. But he says in 17, he says, uh, Fear God, honor the king. Servants, be subject to your masters with all fear, not only to the good and gentle, but also the froward. For this is thankworthy if a man for conscience toward God endure grief, suffering wrongfully. Okay? For what glory is it when you be buffed your faults, so forth and so on. Now it talks about and deals with our relationship with the government. Now, I believe you know this, and if you don't, I'm not for this tax rebellion crowd. I'm also not for wasting the taxpayers' money, but hey, let's just figure it out. It's going to happen. There's always going to be someone spending your money that you're taxed on and you don't agree with, right? So there's nothing you can do about it. And the reason I pay taxes is for fear and conscience sake. Um, I'm also not for this anti-government agenda that popped up during COVID. Uh, what shot so many Bible believers during COVID is they were so quick to show off not only their ignorance of the Bible, but they were quick to show their ignorance to the world. And multitudes of Bible believers took sides with the world against the government. That's not me. Say, what'd you do? Well, when it came, we shut down until we figured out what we had going on. Well, you should have never shut down. Shut your mouth. I give account for the judgment seat of Christ, not you. <laughs> 
And you know what? I like people living. During that whole initial outbreak, countless people died. You say, well, it was this and it was a bat and it was a mouse and it was a bat or Wuhan or Wuhan or it was Trump. Or I, I don't care what it was. People were dying. People, close people were dying. So, you know, whether or not the government did everything right, that's not the point. The point is in our state, they never said you couldn't meet. I mean, some of our brethren went, you know, wacky tobacky, man. We're, we're taking a valiant stand for the Lord, and we're not going to go for it. I don't care. You're going to go down and protest? Help yourself, man. Now, Jesus Christ never told the, the child of God to get into anything that is subversive to the United States government, uh, except preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. See what I mean? Uh, he never told you to go protest against the queers. He never told you to go protest against the abortionists. You know what he told you to do? He told you to go win them. You know what protesting does? It says, look at me, I'm right, you're wrong. That wasn't the ministry of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ went out where the publicans and sinners was and said, hey, let's get this thing figured out, man. You need something that I got. You can go protest. You can't find it in the Bible. Now, you don't find Jesus Christ politicking with the, the politicians, but you see him down there trying to win the sinners. Amen. And preaching would not be subverting the government at all, but during 2020, it seemed like a number of Bible believers in the state of Michigan went on a rebellious frenzy waving a King James Bible to showcase their old man and desire to be a rebel. You got to be careful about that rebellion thing. It's got a satanic root. I don't care how right you think you are. I think COVID was an interesting thing because while the other half uh, of the crowd used the problem of COVID to justify never coming back to church. So while the world got cleaned up, the church got cleaned out. It's like the Lord gave the church an enema. And out it went. Good morning. Wholesome Sunday school teaching this morning. Now the principalities here in verse 1, Titus chapter 3 and verse 1. Now that uh, rough entry to Titus chapter 3 is necessary because we're not here to start a revolution. Jesus Christ didn't come to start a revolution. If he did, he would have called 10,000 angels or however many legions of angels and wiped all of his adversaries out but he gave himself willingly. But the uh, principalities and powers in Titus chapter 3 and verse 1, uh, you need to know this, but they're not the principalities and powers of Ephesians chapter 6. Because in Ephesians chapter 6, we're supposed to fight against those principalities and powers with prayer and spiritual resistance. So there's a difference and the context of these principalities and powers are government. It's government. And so in this day of rebellion and Christians talk of revolutions, people, some people I know, they love to say, you know, rapture revolution. You're an idiot. Yeah, revolution, my foot, man. You don't stand a chance against the government. The government's got a standing army. You got what? Ten guns? <laughs> Ooh. I mean, sell your guns and go on vacation, man. Or buy more guns. I don't care. Buy as many as you want. 
So in the day of rebellion and Christians talk revolution, it means that Christians are still to obey the government and pay taxes for conscience sake. Look at Acts chapter 5. There's only one time in the Bible you see Christians not obeying the government. I mean, you can go back to the Old Testament there. There's a different one too. Acts chapter 5. I'll show you this one. Acts chapter 5. Now look, uh, look here in verse 24. Now when the high priest and the captain of the temple and the chief priests heard these things, they doubted uh, of them whereunto this would grow. Then came one and told, saying, Behold, the men, these are the disciples, whom ye put in prison are standing in the temple and teaching the people. So the disciples were preaching, preaching Jesus Christ in the open air. And you know what they did? They threw him in prison and they said this, Don't preach the gospel anymore. You know what they did? The Lord got them out of prison. They went back to preaching the gospel. All right, now look at this. Then went the captain with the officers and brought them without violence, for they feared the people, lest they should have been stoned. And when they had brought them, uh, they, had, they set them before the council, and the high priest asked them, saying, Did not we straightly command you that we should not teach in this name? And behold, you have filled Jerusalem with your doctrine, and intend to bring this man's blood upon us. Then Peter and the other apostles answered and said, We ought to obey God rather than men. In the context, that is preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. So the day... Listen now, the day when the government says you can no longer preach the gospel of Jesus Christ at your church is the day we tell them to step off. And we assemble here and we preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. And then we pray the rapture happens before they come and kick the door in. But other countries are like that. You're not permitted to preach the gospel openly in China. You go to prison. You're not permitted to preach the gospel openly in Russia. They'll send you to Siberia and make ice cubes. But by God's grace in America, you can still preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. You see what I mean? That's the only place you see in the Bible where you disobey the authority is when they tell you to stop preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, that doesn't mean I go into the local Catholic church where I don't agree and I differ 100% and I interrupt them. Then I go to jail because I was an idiot, Right? And I interrupted their service, and I, you know, knocked Mary over, whatever. That's not what he's talking about. But here's where we preach the gospel. And so right now, the Constitutional also allows us to preach on the street, and we go on the street and pass out tracts. Uh, we don't hold people at the throat and say, you better take this or we're going to beat you up. We're like, here, would you like something today? And if the answer is no, you're like, hey, have a great day, and we're a peach about it. But that's what we're talking about. You obey the government, and the only time you don't is when they tell you you can't preach the gospel. Here, stop and think about how easy we have it in Laodicea. And uh, how difficult it is for some people to make it to church. I'm not talking about you got to work. I'm not talking about you're sick. I'm not talking about you're, you know, you're 90 years old and you have a hard time getting here. But let's just say one day the edict comes through. You can no longer attend church or you're going to go to jail. You really think Christians are all of a sudden going to develop a backbone and go, I'm going to go to church today. They're going to be like, I wanted to watch Gunsmoke anyways. 
That's what's going to happen. Amen? There's only one other place, uh, unless a lot of Old Testament examples over there in Daniel, uh, Daniel chapter 3, where you have Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And old King Nebuchadnezzar, he's the government there, he commands them to worship an image. And those three boys, you know the story, they didn't bend, they didn't bow, and they didn't burn. And they said, we're not careful to answer thee concerning this matter. So someone tells you to worship an idol, you can politely tell them, <laughs> not happening. And if someone tells you you can no longer preach the gospel of Jesus Christ, you go ahead and do it at your own peril. But you probably go to jail. You see what I mean? Those are the only places in the Bible where you would uh, practice civil disobedience. It has nothing to do with, I don't like our democratic governor. Whatever. I mean, if you really like some governor that's in there, you spend enough time, you'll hate somebody for some reason. Amen? Think about who you work with. You smile at them, you're nice with them, but deep down inside, you don't like most people there. Amen? All right, let's move on. <coughs> so, uh, we're in this day of rebellion. We are in the day of rebellion with Christians. Christians think they have a right to do whatever they want. You know where they got that? Because we live in America. Amen? You would not think that way if you lived in any other country. But since you live in America, you think, I can do whatever I want. And if you don't like it, bleh. That's America. And if somebody tells me I can't do it, I'm going to do it more. That's who we are. It's ugly. And it's not just the lost. It's the Christians. You see how the world has just gotten right in there? I'm, I'm separated. No, you're a stinking rebel is what you are. <laughs> All right? And uh, so you obey the government. Amen. You pay taxes for conscience sake. And if you don't, well, you'll have to pay the piper. <laughs> It'll catch up with you. <clears throat> and in verse 1, it admonishes Titus to tell them these things. In verse 2, notice what it says, to speak evil, Titus chapter 3 in verse 2, it says, speak evil of no man. Now, here's the context. You've got to get the context. This is Paul. He's writing to a preacher who's got a church, young Timothy. He says, to speak evil of no man, to be no brawlers, but gentle, showing all meekness unto all men. And here, it's talking about being gentle. And if you're not careful, you'll get mixed up in this passage. Now, you remember that uh, the Apostle John, I'll give you a couple things here, just in, just in mentioning here. Uh, John spoke of diatrophies. Remember that? Was it 1 John? Uh, or, yeah, is it 2 John? 3 John, thank you. He spoke of uh, uh, diatrophies and how diatrophies was a preacher and he just loved the preeminence. He loved everybody looking at him and look at me. And if there's anything worth knowing, I'll let you know about it. And so John spoke about the evil of diatrophies. That guy was a pinhead. Amen. You, 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 if you have to submit yourself and subject yourself to a preacher that won't let you think for yourself, that guy's an idiot. And he's a diatrophy. He's loving to have the preeminence. Uh, Paul also spoke of Demas in 2 Timothy chapter 4 and verse 10. And he was very blunt. He said, Demas hath forsaken me, having loved this present world. Now, that's a terrible fact. But he's speaking about the evil of Demas. Christ spoke all throughout the book of Matthew uh, 21, 2, 3, and 4 about the evil of the Pharisees. He called them generation of vipers. He called them hypocrites. He ca called them uh, wicked. 
adulterous generation. Everyone gets this idea that Jesus had blonde hair and he was a little sweetheart and never said, I'm telling you what, he's one of the roughest preachers you ever heard. But this world, they, they've got a misconception. They have a satanic idea of who Jesus is or uh, like a Joel Osteen idea. I mean, for whatever it's worth, he's got people taking shots at him, so that's crazy, ain't it? Anyways, uh, you have Jeremiah, and in the book of Jeremiah, you see Jeremiah railing on the scribes. So he speaks evil of the scribes. And, of course, you know Elijah, he was very rough, rude, and crude about the Baalite priests. So this being gentle unto all men has not nothing to do with preaching. This has to do with personal conduct like one-on-one. -on -one. If I sit down with you, I'm not supposed to be like Peter Cartwright and grab you by the throat and say, now you need to do it the way that God says or the Holy Spirit will smite thee. You know, I'm not, that's, not, that's not how you deal with people. <laughs> uh, but it said that Peter Cartwright had a fist about the size of a Virginia ham. I guess that's a pretty good-sized fist, amen, or a pretty small ham. <laughs> but anyways... Elijah, like I said, he spoke evilly about the, uh, the Baalite priests. But you're going to have to notice here, I want you to see this in contrast. A couple minutes left this morning before we break for the morning service. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter number 13. Paul's talking about being gentle to all men. Speak evil of no man, but be gentle. Uh, look at 1 Corinthians chapter 13. Paul is talking about charity. Charity, of course, that's the most mature type of love the most giving type of love. A lot of times we say, I love you, I love you, oh, I love you so much, but real love is charity, and instead of saying it, it just gives, it shows, right? Uh, you can love somebody and never tell them by just your actions. So 1 Corinthians chapter 13, look at verse number 6. Now look what the Bible says, what charity does. This is true love, you know, true love, right? He says, charity rejoiceth not in iniquity, but rejoiceth in the truth. Amen. You ever just ask yourself, do I actually rejoice in what's right? That's a hard thing. Now, it's not a hard thing if what the truth is, is to my benefit. You preach about heaven, preacher. Amen. I'll swing from the fans. It won't last long, but I'll try to swing. You preach about uh, the wickedness of the sodomites. Amen, preacher. That's rejoicing in the truth. But if I preach upon your laziness, if I preach about your bitterness, I preach about your lack of grace with people, see what I mean? If I preach about your orneriness and your bickering and your backbiting and your division and schismaticism in the church, well, then you're just a hate monger. <laughs> whoa, whoa, whoa. Are they not all true? If you're a Christian, you're going to have to go, yeah, at a lot of points in my life, all that stuff is true, maybe not at once. So Paul says you're supposed to rejoice in the truth. So telling the truth isn't speaking evil unless you're doing it the wrong way and for the wrong reason. Now, where telling the truth would be evil is if you're just telling the truth to draw attention to yourself. Like you're going to hell and you're saying it like you're the guy running the place. That's what my preacher said, you know what I mean? <laughs> right, now you're wrong. But if you're actually concerned and you're trying to minister to people and you tell someone the truth and you say it with love and you season your words with salts the best you know how in the state of grace that you're in right now, it's not evil. It's just the truth. And uh, 
someone says, well, I'm not going to say nothing about him. Uh, well, if it's true, say it. Amen? Uh, if it's not just going to be detrimental to a person. Now, some things, they might be true, but they don't need to be said. Uh, maybe you've had trouble in your life somewhere along the line, and maybe you messed the thing up, and, you know, your life was like, you know, blown transmission all over the highway. Uh, it might be true, but it doesn't need to be repeated all over the church. See what I mean? That's discretion. So this modern-day Christianity that you and I live in and around, uh, many of them don't want to hear negative truth. So that's why I qualify it by saying modern-day Christianity. I'll give all the Bible believers a pass. Modern-day Christianity, they just want positive. Positive hits FM. Smile FM. The vibe. <laughs> now it's the vape or whatever it is, <laughs> you know, or... Positive country, whatever, whatever you know, whatever your vice is, and it's all positive. There's so much positive about make you throw up. That's why when you get behind you hear, real here an old time preacher shell the corn. A lot of times I go, man, that just feels good. You finally got someone that has the guts and the gumption to get up and tell the truth, and it's going cross grained everything you hear in this world. All right, there's a couple more things here. <clears throat> But a lot of Christians, modern-day Christianity, they get crazy when they hear negative truth. But Paul said that charity rejoiceth in the truth. You ought to ask the Lord to help you with that this week. Say, Lord, help me just to rejoice in the truth, even if it's negative truth about me. And when you hear negative truth, you ought to amen. Why? Because this goes against your flesh. A amen. What? Yeah, it's right. I don't like it, but it's right. So when the Roman Catholic Church teaches baptismal regeneration, and they teach that a man is saved by being baptized, and then I turn around and tell you that their bale, black-robed fathers are smoking crack, uh, that's not speaking evil of man, that's telling you the truth, because that entire system is under a narcotic spell by the devil. You see how that works? That's not being negative, that's being truthful. That's being brutally honest and therefore teaches a false doctrine such as baptismal regeneration. All right, we'll close on this one. Look at John 7, verse 7. We'll close on this one here. You've got to remember this thing, Christian, when you're out in this world, and you can't, you can't shut yourself in a box. You have to work with the world. You have to live around the world, but you don't have to necessarily be a part of the world. The Bible says in John 7, 7, the world cannot hate you. You see that? If you're a Christian, the world cannot hate you, but me, that's Jesus Christ, it hateth, because I testify of it that the works thereof are evil. So this world hated Jesus Christ because the Lord wouldn't keep his mouth shut. You see that? But rather he openly testified of the evil works of this world. And you got to get that, Christian. We'll stop right there. And when you expose light on the darkness of this world, people are going to get angry. It's like this. you got a hornet's nest, right? If you leave the hornet's nest alone, they're good, right? But if you think you're going to go up there and take a stick and go, jigga, 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 it's not going to end well, right? And, uh, you know, as Christians, that's what we are. We're on the outside of the nest. And the Lord's told you in, in, in typology here, to go tell that nest that uh, a big can of raids coming, amen. <laughs> and you got to get out of the nest. All right, that's enough for this morning.